Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Those words, which were penned by an anonymous writer in the 1880s, capture an image that many of us have of that first Christmas day. The sweet baby Jesus lying in a manger, a Christmas that is all about peace and love. And that image carries over often into how we view the grown-up Jesus, how the eight-pound, six-ounce baby boy grows up into a mild-mannered, sweet-natured, gentle Jesus who talks softly in platitudes. A Jesus who would never be aggressive or belligerent or say anything confrontational or off-putting. But is that true? Do the facts of the Christmas story back up this vision of Jesus? Now, there's no question that Matthew, Luke, and John all give us remarkable details of miraculous things. And the images and the dialogue of the Christmas story are littered with memorable lines such as, Do not be afraid, or we bring you great news of great joy, which is for all the people. But there are other features of the story that are not quite so upbeat, so calm and bright, tender and mild. There's a dark side to the Christmas story, some gritty features that when we pay attention to them can be quite jarring and unsettling. For example, you may be aware that there were awkward questions surrounding Mary's pregnancy. Matthew tells us that Mary was engaged, but the couple had not yet come together. That's why when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he decided quietly to divorce her. But before he could do that, which, by the way, would have been the honorable thing to do, God intervened by sending an angel who let Joseph know what was really going on. And Joseph believed God. He trusted him and he obeyed. But that did not stop people from talking. For the rest of their lives, Mary and Joseph endured gossip and ridicule. The scandal never quite went away. But there's more. Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. You may know that this created a huge inconvenience that required everyone in the empire, every family, to return to the father's place of origin. So it was that with a nine-month pregnant fiancé, Joseph traveled 90 miles from Galilee to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, they could not find a place to stay. So when Mary's water broke, they found themselves in an animal feedlot where the only bed for the infant Jesus was a feeding trough. There's more. After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary took their newborn son to the temple the eighth day to have him consecrated, as was the custom. While they were there, they met Simeon, a very old man, one Luke describes as waiting for the consolation of Israel. Let me just put that in plain English. He was waiting for the Messiah to come to rescue Israel. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That's the really nice part. But then Simeon, it says, blessed them and said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The rising and falling of many, a sign spoken against, a sword that will pierce your heart. In other words, Jesus would be a polarizing personality in the extreme. People would either love him and commit to follow him wholeheartedly or they would summarily reject him. There would be no middle ground when it came to Jesus. But there's more. Matthew tells us about magi who came from the east to see the child. Who were they? Well, astrologers, astronomers, Zoroastrians, we aren't quite sure. But what we know is that they came as seekers with the little they knew, hoping to see Jesus. You have to admire their spiritual tenacity, their hunger to know and understand, and as Matthew tells us, their courage to do what was right. You see, their visit didn't start with a direct trip right to Bethlehem, to the Holy Family. They stopped first where they would have expected to find a king, in a palace, Herod's palace. But Herod didn't have a newborn son, and his advisors told the king that if there had been a son that had been born who was destined to be king, he would have been born in Bethlehem. So the men left for Bethlehem with that information, having promised to return and tell Herod, so that Herod said, as I too can go and worship him. But Herod lied. His intention wasn't to worship, but rather to assassinate this baby king. So when the men, having been warned in a dream about Herod's intention, took another route back to their homes, Herod knew that he had been outwitted, and he was furious. Joseph, too, had been warned in a dream about Herod's intentions, and he and Mary and the baby left, escaping to Egypt to avoid Herod's wrath. And it's a good thing, because not long after, Herod gave orders to kill all the boys under the age of two living in Bethlehem in the surrounding area. It wasn't a large town, so we don't know exactly how many children were killed. It could have been as few as five or six or as many as 30. But regardless, even if it was just one, it was an unspeakable tragedy perpetrated by a brutal tyrant. So what about the Prince of Peace, the goodwill toward men, the sweet, innocent, meek, and mild baby boy? How do we reconcile these two visions of the Christmas story together? One way to explain this is to understand that Jesus came to turn the world upside down. He came to overturn the existing social, political, and religious order. And that made him a threat. That shows you why. For example, Herod was so upset. Why it was that he believed that a baby born in a backwater town needed to be eliminated. Seen from this vantage point, it's hard. It's uh, harder to celebrate a feel-good Messiah. That's not to say that Jesus was a fire breather. That instead of meek and mild, he was hellfire and brimstone because Jesus was love and mercy and grace and peace, just not always in the way that we think of him. He invited everyone who was on the outside in, the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and thieves, the drunks and the lepers and the poor and the lame. He welcomed them into the kingdom of God. But to the rich, the proud, and the powerful, he demanded humility. Of the self-righteous, he demanded confession. From the self-reliant, he demanded that their hearts and minds and souls and strength be turned over to him. And what he said threatened them. Jesus demanded that they give him full allegiance, something many were unwilling to do. But there is something far more significant going on here than just turning the world upside down. It is how this baby, the Messiah who came from above, would set this world upright. We often get Jesus wrong, or at least we fail to get a complete vision, a complete picture of his mission. 
Jesus did not come simply to shed a little light on the truth. He did not come to marginally improve our lives or to teach us a few clever stories. He came on a full-scale rescue operation to deliver us from our sin and to give us life both here and now and for eternity. Born in the humblest of circumstances, Jesus was opposed from his earliest days. So yes, it was all calm and bright. But if we don't understand the rest of the story, we will get Jesus wrong. The first night may have been peaceful, and surely it was full of light, but for the rest of the days that Jesus lived on earth, he was opposed by every bit of evil that Satan could throw at him. That's why King Herod was so threatened by Jesus that he carried out a genocide against these baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. I don't know if you know, but there is one more Christmas story that you may not be familiar with. It's in Revelation chapter 12. It's written by John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers. And John had this, frankly, bizarre vision of what the Christmas or what the whole uh, end of the, uh, the age would look like. It's a story that's very difficult for us to understand. But in Revelation chapter 12, he includes his version of the Christmas story. And it's strange. It's told from the vantage point of the angels in heaven. In this Christmas story, there are no magi or shepherds or swaddling clothes or mangers. Instead, in deeply symbolic language, we're told of a pregnant woman shining bright and wearing a crown with 12 stars on her head. She cries in pain just as she is about to give birth when suddenly a great red dragon appears, his tail sweeping one-third of the stars out of the sky. And then he waits, waiting to devour the child the woman is about to deliver. The child, the story says, will be the one to rule all nations. At the last second... The baby is rescued by God. And with that, an all-out cosmic war begins. This is no small deal. The Revelation Christmas story tells us that God has sent his son on a rescue mission to rescue the planet, a mission that led eventually to the death of his son. But in a great reversal, it was the dragon, Satan himself, who's thrown out of heaven along with one-third of the angels who chose to align themselves with him. All this shows what great lengths God went to rescue us. As calm as it was that first Christmas day, just under the surface there was a war going on, a war for our very souls. Why, you might wonder, did God go to all that trouble? It's very simple. He loves us. Full stop. It was love that motivated God to send his son. Love that led Jesus to take on the very nature of a servant, to become a human being, to humble himself, to become one of us, to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. We don't often think of it, but Jesus entered a world cloaked in darkness and strife. And much of that darkness and strife remains even yet today. The hope the Christmas story brings whether it's the versions that we're used to reading or this strange version in the book of Revelation, is that one day this rescue mission will be complete. The mission that began on that Christmas day 2,000 years ago will be complete when the Messiah, Jesus, returns. And this time, once and for all, he will defeat Satan and his emissaries. When Jesus rose from the dead, it says that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 